Hello, Matt's here with a quick content warning for even the Trunchbull episode 12. We've chosen the books in this episode partly because they both portray experiences of dementia. This episode, therefore, features discussion throughout of experiences of dementia, both within the books and for family members of ours and our special guest as well. We think the books are lovely and that the discussion is appropriate for all ages, but if you're not feeling up for that today, feel free to give this one a miss. Do what's best for you. And now, without further ado, on with the episode. Hello and welcome to Even the Trunchbull, our show about children's books and why we still love them as adults. She's Nina. They're Matt. And we think that children's books are for everyone because we've all been kids. Even, Even the, the Trunchbull. They're all mistakes, children. Filthy, nasty things. Glad I never was one. From Roald Dahl's beloved Matilda, despite her protestations. Each episode, we review one picture book and one chapter book. We've started off with the books that we read as kids, but if you've got a book you'd like us to review, especially if you are currently a kid, please get in touch. You can email us on eventhetrunchbull at gmail.com or catch us on Twitter or Facebook, both at TrunchbullPod. This week we're reading books linked by the theme of dementia and memory loss. Our picture book is The Remember Balloons by Jesse Oliveros and illustrated by Dana Wolfacotta which deals specifically with memory loss through a very well-crafted metaphorical story. And our chapter book for this week is Moomin Valley in November, as requested by Sal Gardner on Twitter. Thank you, Sal. So this is the last in the series of Turvey Janssen's beloved Moomin's books, in which we meet Grandpa Grumble, who seems to be a character dealing with dementia, though it's not specifically referenced. And joining us this week to discuss these books, we have our first special guest of the podcast. Dave Pickering is the creator of the podcast, Down to a Sunless Sea, a series of conversations between Dave and his dad, documenting in part his dad's journey with dementia. He's a longtime friend and Moomin aficionado, so we thought it'd be great to have him on. Hello, Dave. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Do you want to tell us a bit about Down to a Sunless Sea? Um, yeah. It's an 18-episode series that documents my dad's descent into dementia, but also into old age in general. And it kind of alternates between personal memoir pieces with loads and loads of, of clips of my dad's and me in conversation with some interviews I did with medical doctors, epidemiologists, uh, carers. But there's also loads of, like personal stuff and stuff to do with my childhood and with books actually there's lots about the books that I was read by my dad when I was a kid and there's also stuff around the books that he enjoyed as a child so it's definitely something that listeners to this show would enjoy um, but they should be cautious and pay attention to the content notes that the series has if you are someone who's got people in your life who are living with dementia then I think it's quite a healing show to listen to. Yeah, I mean, definitely for me, like, that's what I've taken from it, listening uh, a bit of it so far is like, I think, as you say, you've got to be in the right mood. It's sort of quite sombre, but it can be kind of really lovely with that. It's kind of like a a comforting melancholy in a way sometimes. So what was your favourite kid's book growing up? Well, 
Now, I'm a massive fan of the Moomins, which is part of the reason I'm I'm here today. Uh, the Moomins is very important to my childhood. I guess the Lord of the Rings is is important to my relationship with my dad, and uh, um, it certainly has lots of problems with it. But I have read it, you know probably mm. like 14 times. So I guess that might be c- counted as a favourite just because I read it a lot. Mm. Um, but yeah, lots of books. I'm a big fan of books. And also I used to work for quite a few years reading books to the under fives. So I have oh, um, some different perspectives on on children's books. Well, I mean, as you've mentioned the Moomins, should we go into that one first? Sure. I want to talk about the Moomins. All right, let's talk about the Moomins. I'm, I'm just, I'm really <laughs> excited to be talking with... Uh, <laughs> with a, a Moomin expert, because I'm pretty sure that Moomin Value in November, I'm pretty sure this is the first one I read, in one night, right. um, cuddled up in blankets, and it kind of makes autumn okay for me. It makes sense of autumn. But it's bleak as well, right? Is this a kid's book? I think is probably the first thing I would ask. Well, that's an interesting question. It's definitely a strange and from the perspective of being a massive Moomins fan, a rather worrying first uh, exposure to the Moomins. Like, it's the only one I've read. It's 100% <laughs> not what I would recommend anyone starting the Moomins with. So start with one of the lighter, fluffier ones, and then by the time you're a sort of young teenager, you'll have got round to <laughs> Moomin Valley in November. This is a Moomin book that includes no Moomins. Yeah. The whole book is all about the idea of the Moomins, the memories of the Moomins. It's defined by their absence. Yeah. Yeah. Would be best enjoyed from having read other versions of the Moomins. Or not necessarily best enjoyed, but to my mind as a Moomin lover, make the most sense if you know the Moomins well before you read those. Well, having said that, this is where we're starting. Yes. Should we have a a quick synopsis? (laughs) I'm interested to hear what, what you make of that. Basically, we start with Snufkin who's just like a little camper dude, knocks about in his little green anorak, living in the wild, playing his uh, (laughs) harmonica. And he decides that it's time to move on and break camp. And once this is decided, it must be done very quickly. So he's in Moomin Valley, I think, as we start. And he heads off into the wild. And then we meet sort of various other characters. So we meet Philly Jonk, who's obsessed with cleaning and basically like in the course of cleaning our windows nearly falls off a roof and dies and has a bit of a moment and decides i'm not going to do any more cleaning decides that she must set off we meet the hemulin who is a sort of he looks like a big moomin in some ways he's a sort of like hippo like creature as well who's just he's got a sailing boat that he never uses and he's got dreams that he never fully realises. He spends his whole time, like, organising everything for everyone else and looks at himself in the mirror. The Hemulin's depressed, right? Oh, yeah. But, like, sort of <laughs> persistently, I think. And sort of catches himself yeah. in the mirror and is like, what would happen if I just stopped? And this little voice goes, it would probably be fine. And he's like, oh, that's scary. I don't want to deal with that. And goes to bed. And then sets off as well. We've got little Toft, who's this little lad who basically lives underneath the Hemulin's boat, who dreams about Moomin Valley. So you've got all of this; these characters basically decide that autumn's coming for various reasons. Things aren't working out for them. They're a bit down and they want to revisit Moomin Valley. And they all have this image of it as it is in summer. And they get there and 
the Moomins aren't there. It seems they haven't even left a note and the house is empty. And one by one, they kind of show up at this house expecting a sort of summer holiday and gradually realising that it's not because it's not summer and it's autumn turning into winter. And they sort of all at, at their own points go a little bit mad, I guess, and a little bit cooped up with each other. Um and then they and they then have they to learn leave. to deal with each other. They all move into the house together while the Moomins are not there, and they have to sort of learn to deal with each other. I think that's a lot of what they're doing is coping with each other being there. Yeah. What you can say about them is they're all having an identity crisis yeah. or a, a a mental health crisis, and and it's an interesting thing when you, because one of the the ironies of it is they're all attracted to going to the Moomin Valley. But most of them don't understand that, you know, the worst time to visit the Moomins and the Moomin Valley is November. Moomins mm. hibernate in the winter. Like, <laughs> y- y- they're re- remembering this, the wonderful family, but the family are very connected to summer uh, and spring. And so they're going at the wrong time. Um, and they're all going with kind of half-remembered ideas of what the Moomins are and projecting what their needs are onto this family that they're expecting to yeah. be there. But have we quite finished the um, the synopsis? Like we've got that they're all walking around in this house trying to make their lives make sense. Yeah. And as Nina said, they have to try and learn to deal with each other and with themselves. And they all have something to deal with. And as the book goes on, most of them do find some kind of reconciliation mm. in themselves and, and no longer need to wait for the Moomins. And most of them leave, apart from Toft, who does not leave. Because he still needs to be there. Yeah. I mean, I suppose Grandpa Grumble doesn't leave either, does he? Well, he goes to sleep. <laughs> he, he goes? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he hibernates. Isn't that, de- like, maybe that's him dying. Oh, I know. Like, yeah. That could be him dying. Yeah. It's really yeah. that bit. Of, so Grandpa Grumble is... <laughs> It seems we're dealing with a character here who has dementia. Um, It took me quite a while to clock that on first read because the way it's described at first is like Grandpa Grumble wakes up and has forgotten entirely who he is, what his name is. And that's so wonderful because he doesn't have to worry about anything. He can do anything. Um, After a while, he invents a name for himself so that he can get up and do things because it's hard to get on and... (laughs) do stuff without a name but like it's entirely up to him and he spends the whole book like people keep trying to remind him of things and be like did you remember where you put this and he's like stop making me remember things i'm doing really well at forgetting everything i've ever known which is what i like about the take on dementia in this is quite liberating compared to a lot of takes like he sees it as like thank god finally i can forget everything you know he 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 goes walking for two days or something before he gets to moomin valley to make sure he's forgotten everything that kind of corresponds with some of the emotions i've seen my dad feel Mm. Probably it's not been quite as liberating for my dad as it is for Grandpa Grumble, but it's but it's quite nice to to remember that there are some people who forgetting is is a gift. Yeah, of course, yeah. But actually, you know, Grandpa Grumble may be forgetting bad things. Like, yeah. maybe certainly, he's forgetting his family. They keep coming in, like telling him what to do and talking too loud. <laughs> yeah. Can we talk about Grandpa Grumble's mad fumo? 
Like he's the personification <laughs> of fear of missing out, isn't he? Like, he's obsessed with the idea that everybody else has parties and doesn't invite him. Yeah, which is something that old people feel a lot, I think. Understandably, yeah. it's like a metaphor for the fact that everyone else is living and they're no longer living and they don't get to engage in the same way that they used to. So I think there's like lots of interesting stuff that comes Grandpa Grumble with that. But also, I think when he's wanting to forget things, that does speak to me of of there's this moment in dementia where it's 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 actually worse that they remember. Like my dad has yeah. moved through that now and he's actually getting to the point where he's quite enjoying his life because he doesn't remember what he's supposed to have had. Um, right. and I think that the irritation with the, the relatives constantly asking Grandpa Grumble to remember stuff is that mm. the, the, the relatives have a different context. They need to know where he's left things. He doesn't care because he doesn't need to know. Like, why does he need to know? Um, and the stuff to do with the medication where he's, he doesn't take it, like, and he, he wants to find it, but then he doesn't actually want to take it once he has found it. Um, he just wants the brandy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that is very, very close to stuff that I've observed with my dad. Uh, it, all, it all surprisingly reflected my life, which shouldn't re- surprise me, actually, because what I think is very good about the Moomins as it does reflect dysfunctional family life. Oh my God. Like every time a new character was introduced, it was like, you know, on Twitter when you've got an image and you're like, tag yourself. I'm like, I'm all of them. I'm all of them. Yeah, I know, I know, for sure. Me too. But uh, but that's why I love the Moomins, because I had quite a dysfunctional family. So mm-hmm. did Tuvi Anson. But what she did was she made it warm and cosy. She what, filed off the edges. She made it relatable to those of us who've had complicated childhoods without it being um, unsafe. And you don't have to yeah, worry about yeah. why your mum's in a good mood or a bad mood. But this book breaks that. A little bit because she wrote this um, just after her mum had died and the character of Toft is very much based on her. So the character of Toft is constantly longing for the mum, right? For Mumi yeah. Mama. And actually towards the end, Toft has to grapple with the fact that... That she gets angry. And has different feelings <clears throat> than the <throat> ones she wants to present... You know, this book, in some ways, you can just see as as Tuve trying to come to terms with both her mum's death, but also how can she write the Moomins without her mum in her life? And I kind of feel like at the end of the book, she kind of decides she won't. Like, after this book, she never writes any more Moomins. And, like, Toft gets to this place where maybe she sees the Moomins coming back at the end. Do you think that the Moomins return at the end or not? It's not clear, is it? Like and I was like, oh, that's nice that Toph gets to meet them at least. And then this picture of Toph mm-hmm. just stood on his own on the jetty. Yep. I was like, oh, God, is this just another like hallucination? Well, exactly. I think it might be. It might be a hallucination or wish fulfillment or like maybe Toph's finally gone mad. We should as well keep in mind that TV Anson illustrated the books as well the the pictures are part of it um so i think in that last page that picture is part of the story like she's chosen to end with that picture we can make of it what we want it sounds like me and nina are more predisposed towards the bleaker version of the ending this is why we have matt there are little rays of sunshine (laughs) (laughs) it's such a sad book but it doesn't like it makes me sad but in a way that is so comforting if that makes sense like Mm. I often get a bit of autumn blues. I just kind of shut down a little bit. I do hibernate a bit. And like, I think reading this book 
just makes that okay. It builds a framework for those feelings of like autumn yeah. blues for me, if that makes sense. It's like it does make sense. And also one of the ways that this particular November or this particular autumn is framed is as an unusual one. This particular one, everyone yeah. feels a bit different. And so, mm. yeah. And I think that's probably because it's a metaphor. It's the November of life. Well, it's the November of everyone's mental health as well. Yeah, that's the other thing. Like, you can definitely diagnose all these characters if one oh, for so sure. wished, you know. <laughs> and, you know, that's why those of us with a, a few different kinds of mental health can tag ourselves in a few different ones of these characters, I think. I mean, I'm I'm all of them except Philly Jonk. Philly Jonk's probably got OCD, right? Um, yeah. All of these characters, they're kind of archetypes. So philijonks are generally like this. Hemulins are generally like this Hemulin in some ways. But I would say it's a very different Hemulin than many of them. So what you might say about Hemulins is they might be autistic, as in they always have a special interest. So there's a stamp collector, an insect collector, and they wear dresses. This is an unusual Hemulin for he wears trousers. And he's a patriarch, right? He thinks the women yeah. should keep the house. Indeed, he's definitely more masculine in in his in his interest. It's almost yeah. like what he's obsessed with is is uh, enforcing his binary ideas about how yeah. people should live, whether they're whether that's around gender or whether it's just about interfering. He doesn't keep his own house in order, but he wants no. to keep everybody else's in order. Yeah, and, yeah, and that's yeah. kind of unusual for a Hemelin. It's almost like this Hemelin is is breaking down in terms yeah. of what a Hemelin might be, like right. the, 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 this. This Hemulin is is not in touch with his natural Hemulinness. His Hemulinity. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Well, and he's minding everyone else's house because he can't mind his own house, right? Like, right. he wants to go sailing. He's got this idea of himself as somebody who goes sailing, and then he never does it. And he keeps trying on these different identities. You know, he goes and gets into Snufkin's tent. He's like, I'll try this thing out, being this outdoorsy type of person. Oh no, I'll try this thing out. You know, he's like he's invading into everybody else's spaces because his own space doesn't fit him anymore. Right. And they're always man things, aren't they? Yeah. He's, he's yeah. doing DIY or he's I'm boating. gonna chop the woods, I'm gonna make yeah. a tree house. <laughs> so like all of the other Hemulins that exist within the Moomin world are happy or comfortable with their special interest. Whereas he is trying to find a special interest that doesn't fit him um mm. there are some of my favorite snufkin moments in this book his mm. attitude to washing up uh is exactly <laughs> how i feel about it there's this whole like gendered argument going on around him with you know the philijonk saying like why should i have to do the washing up and the hemulin saying philijonk should always do the washing up and Snufkin's take on it is kind of the non-binary take that I feel I have around this, which is like, who the hell cares about the idea of washing up? Throw the throw the throw the plates out the window, like smash them, like who cares? Like run some water over it, it's done. Like what? Why is this something you're thinking about? None of them have eaten because they couldn't decide who to wash up, who would wash up. Yeah. I mean, for me, like, that's also, like, very um, executive dysfunction feeling. Right, right. That sometimes, mm, like, yeah. I can't start something because I don't know the exact right order to do them in. Or, more usually, like, my plan A can't happen and I cannot make a plan B to get to the same end point because I'm just, like, so attached yeah. to plan A. 
I think you could like read autism into this definitely like that you can't decide because like the perfect path you've plotted out is not happening you can't do it at all there's no flexibility there I mean, that's it. In, in general, I think characters in the Moomin books are quite often trying to work out the rules of society, like mm. trying to work out the rules. And often they often they reject those rules, but they're always interested in the rules. Like one of the things I like about these books that have become a bit of a like the kids classics is that they're mm. massively challenging in, and also they're quite anti-capitalist as well. Yes. The whole kind of yeah. like Snufkin hates police and park keepers. And he gets angry. Oh, why is it in this? It's... The Hemulin's doing a sign that says Signs, um, Moomin Valley. And he's and <laughs> one of the others is saying, who's that for? Anyone who's walked this far would know where they are. And he's like, oh, it's not for other people. It's for us. And like, why? It's like, I don't know, just to know where we are, I suppose. And then Snufkin wakes up and he's like, what are you doing? Get Like, get that off right now. And he, like, throws it in the river and... It's like, sorry, sorry, guys, don't mean to lose my cool, just don't like signs, you should... He says in his head, like, people should know that Snufkins can't stand signs. Like, how on earth could you put a sign near a Snufkin? Yeah, but how could you do this to me? It's like kryptonite, like, to Snufkins. And it's a very funny book. I think that's one thing we should yeah. say as well. Like one of the things that makes it easy to to take the pill of the the bleakness is the sugar coating of all of the funniness. It it's is really funny. Very funny bit. My favourite is um, Grandpa Grumble. He's got the best line. I've noted so many Grandpa Grumble lines. It's like my entire. Notes. <laughs> it's like you're having all the wrong feelings, and you probably don't even admire me. <laughs> 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 or, or just when um, they're all like, take your medicine, like you need it to stay healthy. He's like, one doesn't die on holiday. One of the funniest and bleakest things about Grandpa Grumble is the way that he thinks he's talking to um, an to ancient troll, to a to a Moomin ancestor, um, but is in fact talking to his reflection. Yeah, he's talking to a mirror. Which, yeah. you know, you're right, that's very sad as well, though, isn't it? And everybody decides to sort of like go along with that. Nobody tells him it's a mirror, do they? No. The Hemulin nearly doesn't, right? And then I think Mimble, like, kicks him in the leg. Yeah, I mean, that's very evocative to me because my dad often has talked about how when he, he, you know, about five years ago he would often say, when I look in the mirror now, I don't see myself. You know, I don't Mm. see myself in a picture uh, that is taken of me and that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, Grandpa Grumble's in the same boat, right? Like, Grandpa Grumble doesn't recognise that that's a reflection because it's not him that he's seen. No, it's clearly someone really, really old. Old, much more (laughs) ancient. And, and of course, that's the kind of interesting thing about his relationship with that reflection is it's a kind of snobbish relationship. He only wants to speak to someone as old as him who has the same, you know, has and he can patronise him for being old, but also say to him, like, you know, we're not like those youngsters. We remember what the life, what what the world was like, (laughs) you know. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I think something that's interesting in this is that, like, almost none of them have any boundaries. Like, I, I right. was reading it again this morning, and I was like, the main problem here is nobody except, like, Snufkin and Mimble has boundaries. Like, they're all, like, minding each other's business. Yeah, and her and Snufkin are there to give us that that balance so we can see yeah. that the others don't have boundaries. 
yeah. because they do have boundaries. And again, it's it's interesting to me thinking of like Tuve is someone who grew up in a house where no one had boundaries. So am mm. I. So I understand what that's like. But I also really appreciate characters like Mimble and Snufkin who came into my life, who showed me boundaries, who demonstrated what it yeah. could have been. This kind of models boundaries, even as it shows a lot of people who have none. And I'm not yeah. sure they learn to have some by the end either. Mm. No, I don't think they do. I mean, like, they're still telling everyone what to do. <laughs> yeah. but that's one of the fascinating things about this for me is that, no, like, obviously, that like all of the characters change and go through a journey, but each of those character journeys ends them exactly where they were, but with the knowledge that that's how they're always going to be and that that has to yeah. be okay. Which sounds a little bit like a, descrip- a description that you could give to the process of having therapy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, very true. They're at the same place that they were at the beginning, but they now understand but now they why know. they're there and who they are and how to operate within the world as those people. The Moomin books, you know, characters, they, they change and they, and they grow, but they don't learn moral lessons. Oh, I like that. I kind that. of feel like that makes them quite realistic. Yeah. yeah. And it's quite refreshing in a children's book as well because they're often like morality tales. I just, I find it's it's so amazing to me that I feel like so many people in the world, like I used to, will see the Moomins as are just this cute little kids' cartoons about these like little hippo people. Like, I know, it's frustrating. <laughs> it's it's amazing. Know, to, to me, they're like one of the deepest, most like powerful works of kind of philosophy and contemplation about human and uh, dynamics and stuff like that but but a lot of people just see them as as you say just and i use that in inverted commas because a children's book is maybe one of the most Mm. purest and uh good art forms that you can create i think but people see them as just yeah cute cute children's characters can we talk about Toph? because i because my favorite one i think if you see in the hemulin could be read as autistic toft surely is can be read as an autistic boy right it's like this little lonely boy the extent to which he can't deal with his own feelings the point where like he creates mm. a monster out of thunder and he's been like sat in his room reading this book about the numulite the numulite yes he like conjures a thunderstorm and he's like i am all powerful toft <laughs> right and this thing just gets bigger and bigger and it's just too yep. big. And he ca- and then he starts getting angry and he doesn't know why. And he has to ask the thing to go away. Because th- I think there's a bit where he's saying, like, um, why do people admire Snufkin so much? Is it just because he doesn't say much? Well, I don't say much either. Why do people not admire me? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's so clearly younger than everybody else as well, I think. That's part of it. It's interesting as well because Tuve said that like Toft is a, an author insert, right? And so like when you think about that, like Toft creates fictional worlds that take over and he loses control over and they kind of go off, yeah. you know, like he can't control the monster and that monster might be the Moomins yeah. for, for, for Tuve. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everyone wants her to write about Moomins and her mum has just died and she's put so much of her, her, uh, childhood and her feelings about her mum into these books and everyone still wants those books shall we come back to whether this is for children is it for children it's a difficult one to say i think it's a, i mean I, i'd say I, as a read-along maybe like as a bedtime story with an adult would a child read this on their own probably not i think i think i mean it depends might, on the age 
And it depends if they've read all the other Moomin books first. Yeah, I think, that's true, actually. You know, like, you, you care about this book more if you've got there through the, the easier slopes of the earlier books. I think there's also a case for saying here, though, that, like, to some extent, I think, like, we're reading this as adults, right? And reading it as adults, you can see, like oh my god like the structure and fabric of everything is just disintegrating and all of these people are having like a really difficult time like i'm not sure whether that would come across reading it as a kid like um like i'm trying to because what it calls back for me i know it's like dysfunctional families and all the rest of it like what really conjures back for me which is part of the poignancy of it is i used to go up to the west coast of scotland with like my dad and my stepmom and then like a bunch of family friends so these were people who i would only see at this thing once a year right and would have all their different personalities and be coming in and coming out and was like an amazing beautiful place but quite difficult to deal with like i'm trying to picture myself reading this book when i was there then as like a 12 year old 11 12 year old and i kind of think it would be fine like i think it's it's sad but i think we forget how capable young kids are at dealing with a lot of stuff like that and it's sure. not yeah. you know like it's not graphic no one no i don't think it's inappropriate dies. i just don't know how well it would hold the attention of a younger child who maybe yeah. wasn't already a moomin fan i would agree with that i think the age you said matt was the right age right and i think this book is kind of a about contemplating mortality dealing with your own mental health issues those sorts of things i think that's better for an 11 or 12 year old yeah yeah i wouldn't go much younger than that but as to whether kids should should read this or young people i should say but whether they should read this book i think really is related to whether they've read the moomins before and also maybe what they're going through i think it might yeah. be more useful to somebody who has got like mental health issues that they're trying to deal with or bereavement those kinds of things mm. or even dementia this might be a book that would help kids to understand dementia a mm. little bit more although the other book we're going to talk about is even better for that excellent segue dave <laughs> thanks for doing their jobs for us our picture book is the remember balloons by jesse oliveros and illustrated by dana wolfcotter um it deals with memory loss it's a picture book it's uh the story of a little boy and his grandfather and all the characters hold balloons and in each balloon there is a memory and so older characters have more balloons and younger characters like the protagonist's little brother have very few balloons the dog has one balloon throughout i don't know why maybe it's saying dogs can only hold one thought at a time which is possibly true um anyway so this little boy shares these memories with his grandfather so it's a shared memory it's the same color they have this memory together of going fishing and it's a silver balloon and they both have a silver balloon and then the little boy likes to ask the grandfather what's in the other balloons stuff that happened before he was born or when he wasn't around and the grandfather likes telling the story of his balloons and then as the grandfather gets older he finds it harder to hold on to all of his balloons and they start floating off sometimes and the little boy tries to chase them down and bring them back to his grandfather but he can't and then there's a real rupture in the story when the grandfather lets go of the silver balloon which is the one they both had their special memory of the two of them and that's when the boy 
really experiences anger about it. It's so far he's managed to be quite sympathetic. His parents mm. have coached him. You've got to be patient, you know, he can't hold on to all of them anymore. But when it's their shared thing, their special thing, he gets really cross. Yeah. Like, why did you let go of that one? That one was ours. That was what made me really like this book, is it actually dealt with some of the anger that you might feel towards someone who's forgetting your shared history, that it feels like a betrayal, like, well, wasn't it special enough? Wasn't it important enough for you to hold on to? And then the grandfather doesn't comfort him in the way that he's used to being comforted, as if he doesn't recognise him, which is really hard. But then the parents mm. coach him, he's like, they're like, well, look at all the balloons that you've got, though, from the stories that you've been told. All of those balloons that your granddad had, he's given you you know, identical ones, you know, of the same colour from just hearing the stories, they're yours to share now. And so he's able to, like, accept his granddad where he is when he's got no balloons anymore, he's just sitting there balloonless. And he can climb into his lap and give him some back by telling him stories. And that's the end. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, even hearing the synopsis makes me, like, feel a lot of different feelings. Yeah. For me, it's a gorgeous book. I guess mm, I yeah, don't have really much experience of dementia. Like my grandma had it. And the bit that rang true for me was like, there's a bit where granddad in this book starts telling stories. And then once he's finished a story, he'll start telling it again. Mm. That was one of the things I remembered was that she was very, very capable at holding a conversation and I think for her it was really important to like be able to carry herself off normally for want of a better word like socially so you would have this conversation with her and she'd ask you a series of questions and reply and she'd answer and then after about 10 minutes the loop would start again and she'd ask you the same questions and reply in the same way so it's like she had this little segment that she could do mm. so that kind of that rang really true for me but that is that's probably my only experience of this, to be honest. What did it pick out for you, Dave? I mean, for me, it rang very true. And one thing I would say as well is that, like, there's no singular version. Mm. Like, dementia mm. looks like many different things. And sometimes many different things within one person. Like, my dad originally got vascular dementia. Now he's got mixed dementia. That includes Alzheimer's as well. And so the way that dementia works on him and through him and with him is different now than it was in the past. So mm. this isn't exactly my experience of dementia. But for me, I don't know, it's beautifully written. The words are so beautiful. The art is so beautiful. I love the way that the the colours stain the memories like yeah. everything in the yellow memory is yellow and everything in the the blue memory is blue and that speaks to something some kind of truth about memory i love how it's like physical and sensory like like one of the things i like about this as a picture book as someone who's read picture books to children is that this offers the opportunity to be able to physically act out the balloons leaving you like you could yeah. do this with a class and get them all to blow up the balloons and hold the balloons and let go of the balloons i like the fact that you can do that kind of thing with an mm -hmm. issue book in inverted commas there yeah. aren't mm -hmm. very many good issue books this is maybe one of the only ones i've ever read issue books for young children they're often very worthy 
but they rarely have good stories. And this has a good story. Yeah, they're often really boring. Yeah. Before it's worthy, before it's message, before it's intent, it's got to be entertaining. It's got to be beautiful to look at. It's got to be fun to read. Yes. Like, yeah, otherwise, what's the point? They're not going to sit through a treatise. It captures your imagination, doesn't it? I mean, like, kids love balloons anyway. They are like catnip. Um, (laughs) Young children, anyway, (laughs) that I'm talking about. Like, you just need to get a balloon out when you've got a group of young children, and that will instantly interest most of the kids in the room. Balloons are exciting to kids. And then you've got this idea of everybody having them. It's like the best metaphors. It seems obvious. And for the kids listening to it or like being read to, they can imagine their own balloons. To me, like that anger of like my dad's forgotten things we went through together, that's very real. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. I felt that, you know, that anger. It's wonderful to be giving kids permission to feel that anger. Um, And when you talk about that kind of anger, adults always go, oh no, we're going to be too real. You know, we've got set things, sympathy, and uh, like ignoring it. Here are the acceptable emotions. Yeah. One of the things I was going to say about this being an issue book is that it's interesting because it's an issue book in two ways. In one element, this is a book which is talking about dementia and that's something we need to tell children about. In another way, this is a book with representation of non-white people uh, all the way through it. And that Mm -hmm. shouldn't be an issue book. But in my time reading books to the under fives you could rarely find a book with people of color in it in a library that was also a good story and that is terrible and of course i'm a white person so i can't say for sure but i felt like dementia is a universal human thing but the fact that this book is focusing on children of color and families of color i think is great the kids that are looking for themselves on the on the pages we'll find that representation they're going to see it and and they're going to see it in a story which is entertaining beautiful but also like important like useful information for navigating the world Mm -hmm. as they go forwards i think it's really good as well that it like makes the problem of the granddad holding on to the memories physical that a child can imagine holding so many strings in their hand that some slip like the you know it's mm. that it shows that your granddad's not meaning to let go he's just got so many and he just can't hold on anymore you know it's like it makes it very yeah. tangible for a child i think that's part of what's really clever right. about it if you could imagine holding a fistful of balloon strings and not being able to hold them all especially if they're helium filled they're pulling your arm up it you know and you could do that like you said dave you could give them a fistful of helium filled balloons and feel the force of that you know, and feel what it's like to like, try and hold on to them all, that it makes it really very easy to picture what's happening inside the opaque skull of your grandparent. It could feel very confusing and hurtful what's happening with someone who's forgetting things. It could feel really personal, and it deals yeah. with that as well. But it sort of shows it in a way it that does you, feel, yeah. you just can't hold on. Yeah. Is this a book that's useful for people with dementia? Is this potentially like a comforting metaphor? It's an interesting question. I was wondering that. I think that that depends on the person sure, living with dementia. Of course. Yeah, yeah. 
it depends on a number of things about them but i think some people in early stages of some kinds of dementia might find this really useful i love it i think everybody should buy it um i think that if you're in a library yes request it from your libraries for anybody with dementia in their life um it's a good book to check out totally totally yeah um thanks for coming on dave it's been lovely do you want to plug your stuff before we go yeah so you can find down to a sun to see memories of my dad on any podcast app of your choice it's if, if it's not there then get hold of me and let me know and i will make sure uh it is there in the future but you can find that everywhere you can find my general work and all of the different kinds of things i've done some which is child appropriate and some very much not but you can find all of that at dave pickering storyteller.co.uk um i am goosefat101 on twitter so yeah <laughs> cool so that was episode 12 of even the trunchbull Thanks for listening. Once again, if you've any thoughts on books you loved as a kid. Or love now as a kid. Let us know, or ask a grown-up to let us know. We're at eventhetrunchable at gmail.com, or you can catch us on Twitter and Facebook at TrunchblePod. Intro music for this episode and every episode is What a Wonderful Day by Shane Ivers. And remember, kids' books can be for everyone, because we've all been kids. Even the Trunchbull. I'm very happy to say even the trench ball, I wasn't ready to say it with you in that moment. Even the trench ball, even the trench ball, even the trench ball.